Now, the news of the day in the last couple of hours that uh, the ARLC and the New Zealand Rugby League informing the International Rugby League that they won't be going to the 2021 World Cup because of, quote, player welfare and safety concerns. Australia and New Zealand again requesting RLWC 2021 to be postponed until next year to minimise the risk of players contracting COVID-19 and ensuring the best outcome for player well-being. So, how does that go down in the UK? For a man that we know well here on Grandstand Rugby League, lives over in England now and has a great passion for the international game, come in, Steve Mascord. It is great nice man. to be chatting to you once more. How are you? Three of my favourite people. How are you guys? What's happening? Uh, oh, great to hear you. One of the best Aussies living in the UK, Steve Mascord. Champion. That's a big field, Clinton. That's a lot of people. A lot of <laughs> I don't know if you mentioned When are we going to catch up for a pint again, hey? Well, that's the question. You know, um, yes. that's the big question this morning. Yeah, pretty emotional over here in the rugby league community. As you imagine. I guess the, the big quote was from Simon Johnson, the chairman of the RFL, who said, the decision was selfish, parochial and cowardly. Uh, one of my colleagues, um, one, of my, one of my colleagues um, um, at... Um, at Forty Twenty magazine, he compared it to the uh, you know the um, um, Australia sorry the Great Britain team of nineteen forty six who braved mine infested waters to go out and tour Australia after the war and said it didn't compare very well. So yeah, there's a lot of emotion, but I will try to be more restrained, guys. I'll try to be logical, okay? Okay. Well, we know that there's significant government investment money-wise in this tournament. Can you see the event still going ahead? Yeah, um, I, I really don't know, and that's the thing. We can all get fired up, and uh, but what what happens in the next few days and weeks won't be impacted on what, what we say or what we tweet. Um, but the big thing, I think, and, and oh, I, I, the players had um, the players had started to speak up, which is um, obviously a bit of an issue. But I mean, when you look at the Bangladesh, um, you know, the tour that the cricket guys are going on, the Wallabies are going at the moment. The, um, the Olympics are on, the, sorry, the Wallabies and Elbacks will be here at exactly the same time as the regular counterparts won't. I think maybe even the, most people in the audience would have to agree the rugby league is not an international sport. It's not a serious international sport. It can't meet its commitments because of the power of the NRL and the political power of the club and the industrial relations situation in Australia with players going through a certain amount of, um, um, certain amount of holiday time and the club's not willing to you know, push back next season because there's a new TV deal and they're not even willing to let players mix trial matches and pre-season training. Uh, uh, so, so rugby league is not a serious international sport and it pretty much hasn't been since Origin started when, and that eclipsed the Ashes. So the question we have to sit here and go, well, how does rugby league become a serious international sport? And, um, you know, one of my thoughts is really that it is by planning for a future without NRL players. Um, you know, and and and, this, and with twenty five million pounds in government funding, the backing of the British government, everyone will get the best treatment and they'll get the uh, safest environment. Rugby league will never have a better chance to plan for a future. International rugby league will never have a better chance to plan for a future where it doesn't have to go to the NRL every time it puts something on. This will be the best chance it gets. So, I'm currently writing a book about the 1997 um, season when we had uh, two comps. Um, and um, this has a little bit of an echoes of that, really. Particularly if Australia and New Zealand either this year 
or, or in future years plan to try to organise their own internationals and bypass the national governing body. I think there are some echoes of 1997 in, in what we've seen um, this you're hearing from Steve Mascord, of course, long-time rugby league writer here in Australia, but now living in the UK. Um, of the footy people that you're going to speak to, Steve, uh, is there anyone who's going to uh, show any sympathy towards Australia or New Zealand in this in this regard? It, it does seem like there are two countries holding this tournament to ransom, and because they can't get it moved, they're not going to come. Yeah, I, I agree with the second party statement and also the first bit because there are lo- lots of British rugby league fans who, you know, they don't they, they don't think the 61 games on the BBC um, or the 25 million funding or the fact the Football World Cup um, soccer suit. How long have I been here now? I'm calling it football. Um, the Soccer <laughs> World Cup is, um, you know, is, um, is on next year. They still don't see that as an, an important enough uh, reason uh, to not delay it. So there's definitely... Even people here who think that delaying it, you know, is, is a good idea. Most of the games are in the north, so they do know rugby league players. But the people who will be watching on the BBC, um, you know, which, as I said, you know, there'll be Saturday afternoon million-plus audiences, which the sport never gets in, um, they don't know a single NRL player. They don't know a single rugby league player, right? So from the, from the point of view of that content, uh, it's a matter of just getting the content on the, on the pitch, on the field. And then, um, and that's why, you know, if there's two organisations involved in this, um, as I think Mike Meehall Wood wrote in their great column yesterday, there are two organisations involved in this, unlike most rugby league discussions, that are bigger than the NRL. That's the BBC and the UK government. So I think the feeling of the organisers was we have to uh, meet our commitments to those parties. And I was in a, uh, I'd hate to tease the people back there, but we were in lockdown a long time ago. And a couple of Saturdays ago, I was in a pub. England were playing um, uh, Canada and Rugby Union, and I thought, after British um, Lions in South Africa, I know enough about Rugby Union to know that, and it didn't matter, right? No, no one no one really um, cared that it was a second-string England team. Um, it was it was on the BBC, it was at Twickenham, there was a fair crowd there, and it was a summer's afternoon, and, and, and I think that is part of the thinking of, of the organisers, that no one knows NRL players. So, so who's in the team is not such a big deal to the market over here. Um, if the tickets are cheap enough, the Northerners will go. And if it's on TV, everyone else will watch it. Steve, yeah. is there any chance, talking about second-string sides, could could they put together a side out of the New South Wales Cup and Q Cup? Or even an Exiles team from uh, the players that are currently in Super League? Yeah, well, there's, there's two different issues there. One is, I mean, I go back long enough you know, I followed Papua New Guinea around uh, France on tour in 1991. I followed, you know, France to South Africa, South Africa on tour in France. I never saw an, 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 an Australian first grader on any of those trips. So there were, there were 250,000 to 400,000 rugby league players in the world, depending on which account guys who are just playing in short-term comps or nines, right? It's 450 players in the NRL, right? So out of 250,000 players, we should be able to field um, 16 men's teams. Um, but so, so and, and I watched Tonga really early, you know, um, and I watched Samoa very early and Fiji very early. Uh, I, I went to two out of those three countries, and there was a smattering of first graders, mostly reserve graders in those teams. So I think the fact that those countries, there's two separate issues here. The countries who have signed participation agreements, it's important to the, maybe the Aussie listeners now that it's got Jason Chamalula and all these guys, uh, but it's not important to the, to the 
sporting world overall who's in the team. Um, so, so it's up to those countries who sign the participation agreement to, to, to field teams, okay? The other question you asked, is Toy Grant was specifically asked at the customer, would you put together your own Australian team? Now, it was a scratchy connection, and when the word sanction was said, I don't know if he understood whether he meant penalties or he meant um, giving permission from the word sanction. But he said that they could do that, and in fact, two years ago they did. The Tongan team was the Tonga 13. It wasn't. Um, it didn't have a governing body, right? Because there was a there was a there was a, a sink in Tonga. So, so they can do the Australia 13, and they can do the New Zealand 13 if they want to, uh, because they've already done it with Tonga. And the question is, the International Federation um, is a members' organisation. So, do they want to end up in the international sport of arbitration, fighting the NRL? You know, like they did the Tonga National mm. Rugby League. I don't know if they want to, uh, but certainly if the, the, the guys in the jumpers is not so important here, right? I know it's important to be rugby league fans, but there's not enough of them, right? So it's just that the jumpers actually walk down the tunnel and take the field. That's the most important thing. So there's two separate questions there. As far as Tonga, Samoa, all in Greece, Lebanon, things don't really change for them in that now they, they've signed a participation agreement they either field a team, and in the case of um, Lebanon, if that's someone from Beirut, you know, in the case of um, Fiji, if that's someone from Nandi, that's a matter for them, okay? Or they try to get out of the participation agreement. But fielding alternative Australian and New Zealand teams is another level of complexity legally and as far as governance is concerned. And I'm sure it's a decision yeah. that wouldn't be taken lightly. Look, Steve, as ever, your passion, your knowledge when it comes to all matters rugby league, particularly internationally, uh, off only a couple of hours of this announcement being made, uh, you've set up the conversation, which will continue beautifully. Uh, Take care over there. I'd love to be able to keep talking, but uh, we've got to move on. And uh, thanks for your time on Grandstand Rugby League. No doubt we'll catch up with this story with you over the next couple of weeks as it develops. I'm sure you can all identify the situation where you know bad news is coming, and when it comes, you are strangely calm. Have a great weekend, guys. <laughs> yeah, good on you, Steve. Great to hear a familiar voice over in the UK with the reaction to Australia and New Zealand pulling out of this year's World Cup. They want it to be played next year. Let's just see whether or not that's going to happen. Quentin Hull, Clinton Chifovsky and Zane Bojack with you ahead of Parramatta and Canberra.